0: Welcome to Inside Track, a conversation with New York's leading property management executives. I'm Paula Chin with Habitat Magazine, and my guest today is Alvin Wasserman, Senior Director of Asset Management at Fairfield Properties, who's here to talk about a very hot-button issue, dogs, specifically emotional support animals. Welcome, Alvin. Good morning, Paula. Alvin, when dealing with people who claim they have an emotional support dog or other kind of assistance animal, boards have to tread very carefully so they don't run afoul of anti-discrimination laws and even worse, end up getting hit with fines and legal fees. You have not one, but a couple of tales to tell that illustrate this.
1: Yes, Paula. In fact, incidents with dogs on Long Island has become one of the leading insurance claims surpassing trip and fall claims. Examples of claims filed include a dog attacking dog, dog attacking human, dog disturbing the peaceful enjoyment of their home, And the hot topic today is emotional and support dogs.
0: Can you tell us about any specific buildings that you manage that have where boards have run into this kind of problem?
1: Well, in one instance, a condominium allows one dog per family, and a unit owner acquired a second dog, registered both dogs as emotional and support dogs, and provided documentation as to why they were needed. Contrary to management's advice, the board instructed their attorney to demand that the owner remove one dog or face fines and legal fees. The unit owner filed a discrimination complaint with the U.S. Department of Housing. The outcome was this. The board lost, they had to agree not to discriminate, to implement a reasonable accommodation policy, to participate in education and training, And all of these items are standard in these types of settlements when the board loses. But in addition, in this situation, they had to pay a monetary award to the plaintiffs.
0: Was this a large sum? How much did this hurt the board?
1: It was large enough that they felt it. And in fact, um, although the insurance company covered their defense because they were found to be wrong. The board had to pay the money, the fine out of their own pockets, not from insurance.
0: I understand you had another case where a board had to deal with not only a problematic unit owner, but of course, with other disgruntled unit owners who were complaining about the person who had the emotional support animal. Was there a condo that you had that problem?
1: Yes, yes. And this was a condominium that allows dogs, and a unit owner registered their dog as an emotional and support dog, and regularly brought the dog to the community's recreational facilities. An owner complained to the board that the dog was allowed into these areas, and contrary to advice from management and their attorney, the board threatened the unit owner with fines and legal fees. The unit owner with the dog filed a complaint with the New York State Division of Human Rights. The outcome was the board lost. And again, they had to agree to not discriminate, to implement a reasonable accommodation policy and to post it in the community areas to participate in education and training. And they had to allow the dog into the community recreational facilities going forward.
0: And what kind of recreational facilities are we talking about? In other words, what are the other unit owners putting up with?
1: Well, we're talking about a clubhouse, a swimming pool, tennis courts, various facilities like that. And uh, the dog, the Division of Human Rights, stated that that dog, because it is a comfort and support dog, can accompany the owner in any of those facilities, and any of the common areas on the property.
0: This, to me, raises a question that I imagine is very difficult for boards to handle, which is, what if you have other unit owners, say, whose children are terrified of dogs or other people who are allergic to dogs, and they're complaining to the board about this emotional support animal? Is there anything boards can do?
1: Not that I'm aware of, Paula. The law takes precedent and, you know, the fact that somebody's uncomfortable dogs or afraid of dogs or allergic to dogs, there's no law to protect those people's rights. The law only protects the rights of the person who has the need for an emotional support dog.
0: Okay, so in other words, people with emotional support animals seem to be the prevailing party. But there must be cases when the owner of an animal is clearly in the wrong. In those cases, do boards have the upper hand?
1: Not always. And here's an example where prior to purchasing a cooperative unit, the prospective purchaser submitted a purchase application that included a signed affidavit saying that he did not own a dog. Upon approval of the sales application and prior to closing, the purchaser signed a second affidavit stating that he did not own a dog. The purchaser closed and moved into the unit with a dog. The board directed their attorney to send a letter to the unit owner stating that he was in violation of the restriction to having a dog and committed fraudulent misrepresentation by signing two affidavits stating that he did not own a dog. The unit owner submitted documentation that his dog was registered as an emotional and support dog and explained why it was needed. And the outcome of this situation is the board's attorney, who is familiar with the law, advised that even though the owner falsely signed the affidavit, submitting documentation that the dog was registered as an emotional and support dog was sufficient to allow him to keep it. The attorney advised the board to not pursue it further. And in this instance, the board followed the legal advice of their attorney and approved the owner keeping the dog, avoiding any kind of litigation and fines and et cetera.
0: Alvin, you mentioned insurance earlier. How did that come into play in these three cases? In other words, did the boards have to end up paying more insurance?
1: Well, in the first two cases, an insurance claim was filed when the board was um, uh, sued, received a complaint from either the Division of Human Rights or the uh, U.S. Department of Housing. And so they did submit it to their insurance company to defend themselves. Now, the insurance company looks at the merits of the case, and if it's covered, they assign an attorney. And that attorney gets a fee, whatever that fee is, uh, generally, you know, it's several hundred dollars per hour to defend the board. And they have to take statements from all of the board members and from everybody involved. And if there are any witnesses, and that's, just, that's hours and hours of work. And ultimately, then they put together a response that they submit either to the U.S. Department of Housing or to the New York State Division of Human Rights. And then it's reviewed by the government authority and then decision is made. Ultimately, that's going to be thousands of dollars of uh, money that the insurance company is going to pay out. Defending the board, and that is going to affect premiums. I mean, if you've ever filed an insurance claim, your house or your car, ultimately, uh, your insurance premiums are affected. And in these instances, it will affect the insurance claims for those boards. And in the third instance, there was no claim filed because the board simply accepted their attorney's advice, so there was no effect on the insurance. But when they have to be defended, it can be a lengthy process that goes on for weeks and it is expensive.
0: So it seems boards are caught between a rock and a hard place whenever it comes to emotional support animals. What is the takeaway here? And finally, what can boards do beyond when they're dealing with the specific unit owner or shareholder? What can they do to address the feelings of other residents who might be up in arms about this?
1: It's really a difficult situation, Paul. The offering plan may have specific prohibitions against dogs or allow dogs, but only within certain limits. The house rules may save that as well. And the best you can do is put that forward to anybody who either lives at the community or intends to buy at the community. And then you're dependent upon that person's integrity and honor and truthfulness as to whether they're going to abide by it. I'm sure there are legitimate instances where people really need an an emotional support dog and they need that help. But in many of these instances, it only helps them and neighbors who are not comfortable with dogs, allergic to dogs, afraid of dogs. They lose their rights in this situation.
0: What's the final takeaway here for boards, Alvin? The final
1: takeaway is no matter how you feel about it and no matter how much you think you're right, one needs to be careful and not let emotionals get in the way and rely upon the advice of your attorney, your managing agent. Your attorney and your managing agent aren't living in the situation with the board and with the community. And they could be more objective, although they You know, they can be empathetic and sympathize with the difficulties that the board is facing. They're going to provide advice where they're not personally involved and where they're going to try to guide you in the best way.
0: And that best way is usually what? Is there a general principle that boards need to be aware of?
1: General principle is to
0: comply with the law. Okay. Um, Alvin, Dogs are, are, as I said, a real hot-button issue. This has been really interesting. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: You're quite welcome.